You're listening to the Blue Box Podcast, and for the next 60 minutes, we're going to be talking about, well, again, not quite Doctor Who, so that you don't have to. I'm JR. Hello, I'm Lee. Hi, I'm Matt. Um, oh, I tell you what, here's an email. <laughs> this email I could have saved for last week's episode, which we haven't recorded yet. <laughs> but instead, I've, I'm doing it tonight for a particular reason, which I'll bring up afterwards. Graham McClue says, Congratulations on reaching 200 and for being the most entertaining and interesting Doctor Who podcast. I've been in Australia for the last week or so on a business trip. Lucky And I'm not ashamed to admit that I spent the entire flight over here listening to old episodes of the Blue Box podcast. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> I even ignored the new Star Wars movie on the in-flight entertainment system to listen to you chaps. I'm so, so, so sorry. <laughs> but <laughs> if I'm going to make one complaint, it is that Lee, Simon, and Mark's voices are too similar. Actually, I always think Lee and Simon's voice—I can't tell the difference between them. Even mm. now, even now, Lee's here. I just can't—I so- can't tell the difference between <laughs> him and Simon. But Simon sounds like a woman. That's easy, isn't it? Yeah, but you do as well. That's oh, sort of a- he's, he's in straight away, <laughs> isn't he? Like a whip crack. <laughs> Well, right, you can't, I'm not saying you should you, do anything should about do an it, but, or something, but maybe you, know? you should sort of say who you are well, before you start speaking. Graham's oh, got some suggestions. Like, like, Chan, like Chan, though, you just, <laughs> <laughs> just say Lee, then the sex, then rollings at the end. At the, at the end of yeah. every sentence. Yeah. Okay, like, so, Lee, happy, 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 looks nice, rollings. Yes, yeah. And then you'd have... Or <laughs> Lee, Lee, I don't understand what you're talking about, JR, rollings. And then later on, Lee... Oh, thanks for explaining that, JR. It's all perfectly clear now. <laughs> Rawlings. Lee, get on with it, Rawlings. <laughs> uh, but if I'm going to make one complaint, is that Lee, Siren and Mark's voices are too similar. I find it really hard to work out who is who. And Graham, I've got to say, I'm finding it really hard to work out why you care. Um, <laughs> JR is obviously a Donald to recognise because A, he's a northerner, and B, he's the one who is actually talking 99% of the time. But for when those other fellows interrupt, I think it would be good if they chose a regional accent. Maybe Lee could be Australian. Yeah, why not? That oh, was that it? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's as good as it's going to get. That's, that is <laughs> sweet that's South African again. Oh, yeah, you're right. <laughs> and it was barely even that. Uh, Simon could be the no complications Ogron from Day of the Daleks. <laughs> and, Mark, and Mark is Alpha Centauri. Yeah. I think it would be easier to follow them. You've seen a picture of Mark, haven't you? He looks a bit like Alex Centauri. <laughs> oh, that's so... Oh. That's so joyful. Yeah. Well. And if you've ever seen video of Simon, he walks like the No Complications Ogron. Lee agreed rulings. 
I should ask him to get irritated. Yes, it That's is. already Matt. irritating. You've done it once and it's irritating. Right, that's your idea. Um, <laughs> and if you've ever met Lee, he's kind of got this upside down thing going on, like Australians. In other words, he's got his brain in his backside. <laughs> Anyway, says Graham, I'm flying back to Blighty today, and so I've downloaded a bunch of your other podcasts from the archive. Cheers, and happy 200. Good luck, mate. Wow. Well, you know, the reason why I saved that for today, instead of not saving it for the podcast that we're going to record next, which is going to go out previous to this on our feed, is because although we celebrated our 200th, well, sort of celebrated our 200th episode a couple of weeks ago, Actually, because of the vagaries of the way the feed works and the fact that we've skipped six weeks over the years, and because there's 52 weeks in a year, this is actually our fourth birthday episode right now. Happy birthday. Happy birthday. Hey. Yeah. Hey. So instead of Simon and Mark, we've got Matt, who's replacing them. And so, actually, we had no plans to do this, so we've not done a huge amount of research, <laughs> but because on the 200th podcast we talked about the Wilderness Years um, independent video dramas, I thought it'd be nice if we actually sat down and talked about the internet dramas mm -hmm. that were on during the Wilderness mm. Years as well, as a kind of a follow-up to that episode. So tonight, we are, for better or worse, and without hardly any research whatsoever, going to talk about... And virtually without watching them either. Yeah, <laughs> we're going to talk about... Well, we didn't have time to sit through all four. That would have taken us about eight hours. And so what we've done is we have sat down and watched about five minutes of Death Comes to Time and about five minutes of each of Real Time, Sharda and Scream of the Shalker, mm. just so that we can give a few impressions and talk about... Because, I mean, I suppose a lot of people who are listening to this probably don't know or probably know very little. So we'll just talk a bit about context and intention and stuff like that. Because I think probably the most interesting thing about these is what they were supposed to accomplish. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Even more than what they did accomplish. Mm -hmm. But we'll get to that. I'm going to stop us right here and do a quick film review. <laughs> Because you know me, I don't like to do it in the same order every time. Okay. Well, I watched... Call yourself a Doctor Who fan. Pardon? Call yourself a Doctor Who fan. Yeah, but my OCD precludes me from doing things in the same order because we've never done it in the same order. So if we start doing it in the same order, my brain would reject it. Ah. Have you seen someone about this? <laughs> we see him every <clears throat> week. Yeah. <laughs> Do you mean this is JR's therapy? This is his therapy session. Is it like a sort of an amicus movie where JR thinks he's recording a podcast, but actually he's just. He's been in hell a long time. He's just sort of transported <laughs> in the white van to the random people's houses and talks about. Mm. That would be that a really good a... idea for a book, actually. That a horror a story. <laughs> horror story about Lee, one about Simon, one about Mark, one about Andy, and one about you, Matt, and then a wraparound story with me. Yes, JR. Yes, yes JR. It's bedtime soon. We'll sell it. <laughs> enjoy, your enjoy your tea. That'd be good. <laughs> Do you know who the Prime Minister is? <clears throat> anyway, you're, you're doing a film with you. Edward Heath? It's close enough. That was he was probably prime minister when Amicus were around. Oh, I thought that was the DVD re uh, review. Edward Heath, the movie. <laughs> <laughs> wow! I I They've that. just made a movie about Eddie the Eagle. I know. Apparently, oh, yeah. Yeah. he didn't know about this movie until it was released. That sounds about right, though, doesn't it? Yeah, sort of clueless. Yeah, yeah. yeah. 
But then... It's supposed to be really good. Is it? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's supposed to be... You know, it sounds strange, but it's by a sort of fairly reputable director. Who is? I can't remember. can't remember. No. Is it Matthew Vaughan? No, it wouldn't be him, surely. What oh, is it? Somebody, it's somebody unexpected. And is it a comedy? Yeah. Ah, right. Yes. And it's got... Oh, no, it's not... I don't but it's quite a good Vaughan, story. It's, it's got the, uh, yeah. the guy from uh, Kingsman, which I hate, um, who's also in running to be the young Han Solo. Oh, I as don't know, because I've not seen Kingsman yet. Oh, I hate it. <laughs> Why? Really? Um, I, ju- I just... I didn't like the special effects. I didn't like the script. I didn't mind the violence. Is it not another Vaughan and Goldman script? Yeah, which I don't... I'm not a big fan it's of. It's kind of a British really? kick-ass, isn't it? Yeah. With well, Bond. kick-ass is British. Yes, but I mean, it's American. But, isn't yeah, it? but based in Britain, with British people. <clears throat> it's got a really good scene with Colin Firth in a church in it and well, that's we, it's very uh, much it's, and actually Colin Firth is really good in it but the rest yeah. of it I'll tell you what it is Stormbreaker the film Stormbreaker based on the anti Horowitz novels mm-hmm. I thought did it better on a lower budget okay. yeah. and with less violence whereas Kingsman yeah, was just it's just aimed, aimed at sort of adolescent adolescent viewers who <clears> want to see well this is what I didn't like about Kick-Ass was the amount of violence and swearing I thought it was it just, yeah. It kind of takes, well, you, I, I don't want to sound prudish because yeah. I don't mind violence and I don't mind swearing, but mm. kick ass was essentially, it was like somebody was doing a kid's film, but Torchwood style. Yeah. I mean, it was a but great, great movie. For me, I think kick ass, kick ass, the, the swearing and the violence, that was the whole point of it. With Kingsman, yeah, yeah. That, Kingsman <clears> I think it did distract from. Yeah. Well, this is what I mean about Kick-Ass, though. It's yeah. like, you're right, the violence and the swearing is kind of the point of it. Yeah. But to me, that suggests that who they're aiming the movie at is the kind of people yeah. who just like a lot of violence and yeah. swearing. Yeah. So whereas they could have made a, a really good film for people who are predominantly interested yeah. in violence and swearing. Which yeah. is what yeah. they're kind of saying about Kingsman, aren't you? I mean, I noticed that as well, that the, the, the violence in it and the swearing... Both, if you'd have eked both of those out, that'd have been yes. an even more superb film. Yeah, than I yeah. thought it was because I thought it was a very good film and I enjoyed it. But uh, mm. yeah, you're right. Those bits, if you'd have just taken those out, yeah. that could have been an even better film. I think. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. yeah. Whereas Deadpool, funny, Deadpool does the thing with swearing the violence, but it does it really successfully because it's so it's so self-aware and it's so it's very close in, to in your face the printed matter as well. what was Fourth the one like pitching. kick-ass that didn't have the violence and the swearing in um percy something or no hang on no not percy jackson percy jackson no, 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 no. and the lightning seeds no 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 <laughs> no there was another film that came out about percy, percy thrower and blue peter garden no <laughs> there was another film that came out about the same time-ish as Kick-Ass that was quite a similar story about a kid in school who becomes a superhero or something like that. And it was aimed at kids. And it was just as clever oh. and just as funny, but didn't have the swearing and didn't have the violence. And I thought it was probably actually a better movie for it. Hmm. That's quite a big film. I'm surprised it's not sprung immediately. To Is it Spider-Man? No. <laughs> no, it was a, It's just a it's one-off. Not, yeah, it's yeah. not... Yeah. A, I don't think it's appended to any of the big. I don't know. Maybe it is a Marvel or something, but I don't didn't think it was. No, can't remember. Can't think of it either. What's your film that you review? Oh yeah, now we've been talking about films for five minutes. Shall we actually do the review? (laughs) (laughs) 
Um, I watched today. I watched um the Iger Sanction. Hey, because <laughs> it's another one of those movies that's been released by Fabulous Films from the old Universal back catalogue or whatever. Uh, go on, Matt. Go on. Tell me what you said when I told you I'd watched it. Oh, it's the most. It's um. It somehow manages to be racist, homophobic, sexist. Just about and, everything. And is. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But it, but the lead character is called Hemlock, which which yeah. <laughs> and it's got Clint Eastwood playing an art collecting super spy assassin. He's a mountaineer art collecting super spy assassin. Yes, and any film with Clint Eastwood <laughs> playing. A mountaineering, art-collecting, super-spy assassin. That can't be all that all that bad. No, it's a, it's a, it's a fun film, basically. Yeah. But yeah. it's... I'll tell you what conclusion I came to at the end of it. Because this was Eastwood's fourth film as a director, after Play Misty for me and a couple of other things. Mm. And I just came to the conclusion that he was... Hero worshipping, hero worshipping himself, basically. <laughs> no idea what he was doing. Well, he's kind possibly. of, but he's thrown himself into this film where, in spite of being the man with no name and playing it exactly the same as he plays the man with no name, mm. except there's more quippage in this. Mm-hmm. It's like the man with no name with a Connery Bond script, essentially. Yeah, if you can imagine, or even the Roger Moore. I think it's more Connery because Connery's sense of humour was slightly drier. It was there, but it yeah. was very much more abrupt. Right. Yeah, it was more harsh. And the the humour in this is quite abrupt and quite yes. harsh. Yeah. So it reminded me more of Connery. But yeah, I, was, I, I always remember. Sorry, this is your review, but I quite like the Iger section. I always remember a classic scene where he's being trained by <clears throat> by running through the wilds of. Of Yellowstone or whatever. Oh, you're talking about the bit where she wants him to go up the short cliff face. And he's being trained by this sort of lithe, lithe, I think Native American woman. Well, actually, as it turns out, half Native American because her dad's George Kennedy. Right. And and to encourage him, she basically takes her top off and then runs away and he runs after her. So it's this sort of. Have you ever so seen the Benny Hill Have you ever seen Monty Python's yeah. Meaning of Life? Oh, no, this yeah. is <laughs> with the, with the guy who chooses his own death yeah, and is just the cliff. Yeah. <laughs> running off the cliff, pursued by women with their their, <laughs> their fun bags hanging out. This sounds like and the perfect just film like for Sunday afternoon. It's this is brilliant. what this film is like all the way through. <laughs> There's one bit because it it starts off with an assassination. Mm. And this guy, well, no, it's not supposed to be an assassination. It's supposed to be the theft of um, some microfilm. But they kill the guy that they're taking the microfilm off. And then Clint Eastwood's character gets called out of retirement. This ex-assassin gets called out of retirement. He's now an art teacher who's also buying (laughs) buying classical artworks on the black market. Okay. So they call him out of retirement and he refuses and then they say, look, we'll give you enough money to buy this piece of art that's just come up on the black market. So he says, mm, okay. <laughs> Which is, you know, about the Does level. Does he say of, it like that? Yeah. Mm, okay. <laughs> so he has to go and kill these two guys who killed this person they were stealing the microfilm off because this is how it works, retribution. It's called sanctioning them. Right. They've killed our guy. We've got to kill their guys. And uh, so it turns out that... Well, he gets the first guy, and then it turns out the second guy, nobody knows who he is. 
But he walks with a limp and he's going to be climbing the Eiger <laughs> in uh, Switzerland in June. So Clint Eastwood goes off to train because he used to be a mountaineer, but he isn't anymore. So he goes off to train so he can get fit, so he can climb up the Eiger as part of this team of going up the Eiger. So he can work out which one of them's got the limp so he can bump him off. So he goes off to this training camp and he arrives there and he's made. A training camp. It's not a training camp anymore. He's turned it into a bloody great hotel in the middle of the desert in Arizona. So it's like this big oasis hotel type place and there's just lots of bikinied girls walking around. So he goes in, meets his mate, they go up to the bar, buy a couple of beers and they're just sitting there and this blonde girl, and this is basically her only scene in the movie, comes up, says, you're a handsome chap. He says, what's your name? She says, Buns. George Kennedy <laughs> says to her, that's quite enough of you. We've got something to talk about. She turns around to walk away and George Kennedy slaps her on the ass as she goes. And that's basically what this movie's like all the way through. Also, nobody think to cut that line. <laughs> also, I, I used to rock climb. And it's one of those movies, a bit like Cliffhanger. Where if you're if you're if you know how to rock climb and you know the techniques of rock climbing, you can spot all the so they climb a, a one of the big columns in Monument Valley, I think, mm. and you could see a top rope coming from the top with the two of them climbing up. Well, obviously, and, who's because obviously, there? so obviously, the producer or the director is at the top, mm. top roping them up because mm. it has to be safe. Yeah. But then there's nobody up there when they get that. That's that just, doesn't make any sense. And there's chalk marks where they're about <laughs> to put their hands rather than where they put their hands. Having in. said oh, that, but it's, it's, the, yeah, it's, this is 1975, and you have got Clint Eastwood up like yeah. three different mountains, and George Kennedy too, as it goes, and all the other actors. And regardless of things like somebody's already been up there in front of them, so he can make sure they get up there safely. They are literally up these mountains, and there is a, the film is filled with helicopter shots. Mm-hmm. And you see these helicopter shots, and it doesn't matter how many ropes there are, you wouldn't get away with putting somebody like no. Tom Cruise up these mountains well, these except, days. And, except you well, do, because you do. Mission Impossible 2, that's what I was thinking. Well, it yeah, is yeah, like yeah. Tom Cruise in Mission actually, Impossible Tom, 2. Play, <laughs> and Clint Eastwood knows to show his face in as many scenes as possible. So it, you yeah. can tell that it is actually yeah. Clint Eastwood on this. And even well, climbing even up, climbing car up chases the... where they're driving around some fairly difficult roads where, a, you know, just missing... Because mm. this is in the desert, so just yeah. missing your angle by a fraction mm. of yeah. a degree would lead you to hit yeah. a rock and the speed they're going, you could have killed them. And, and yet, you've got a helicopter over the car yeah. and it is Clint Eastwood driving the car. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He's, boy, he's, a, he's pretty much a stunt. Yeah, you're right. Tom he's... Cruise wasn't a great example because no, they no, actually did does. it with him. Yeah, but yeah, you know yeah, what I mean? They do a lot. Yeah. He's probably the only person. 99% of films yeah. would yeah. never put their star in that position yeah. in these days. If you, had a, if you had a duck in it, it could be the Ida Down sanction, couldn't it? I've, I've done an Ida Down. Oh, have you done uh, that already? Pun. Yeah, because I did Ida Down time. Oh, That's the Doctor right, Who. And in yeah. fact, I so even did Ida Down sanction last time we recorded did because you? I knew I was about to review this film. Yeah, so we've got three people in this room now, and we have all done the Ida joke. Yeah, okay. yeah. I think you really need to get with the program, Lee. <laughs> get with the program or get out. That's, okay. what I, that's what I can say. Duck comes to time. Anyway, let's, let's move on. That's not really a pun, is it? It's just, <laughs> just, it's just a replacement word. Yeah, yeah but it's funny, though. Yeah. Uh, no. Well, what's to me? Yeah. Real duck. 
Scream of the Duck. I find you more funny when you're trying Shard not to be funny. That's Shard better. Duck. Shard Duck. Oh, that was fine. <laughs> that was the best <laughs> one of the lot. I was just about and to was come into that. <laughs> the Shard Duck. The Time Dabbler is my um, new end. Oh, we got it. Yeah, but uh, can we um, broaden this out to include more hens and coots? You see, this is this is going to be in two podcast time. So we're we're still going to be talking about duck puns. Yeah, like four weeks after. Yes, after we will we have talked duck puns pun. for an entire month. Oh my god! We've already got people volunteering to write stories oh, for that. the book. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I saw that. <laughs> okay, the Iger sanction then. Great fun. Completely unreconstructed. Uh, doesn't really belong in the 21st century, but hey, it was made in 1975. It is what it is. <clears throat> That's all really there is to say about mm-hmm. it. <clears throat> Death comes to time then. Well, first, before we start then, who's seen what? Because Lee, you've seen all four of these, am I right? Yeah. Right, I've seen Real Time and Scream of the Shalker, and I've dipped into Death Comes to Time and Sharda. I've seen, so Sharda, I've had a complex history of. I saw the Tom Baker reconstruction. I've seen well, bit, bits of the animation, and I've read the book. Scream of the Shalker. Yeah, but we're talking about the animation seen, here, so yeah. the answer to that is bits. Bits, yeah. Scream of the Shalker I've watched. And tonight was when no it was exception. <laughs> yeah. <clears throat> well, we dipped into Death Comes to Time. Hmm. I think I must have heard the, the pilot episode to Death Come, Comes to Time when it was on. Well, this is it. It started off yeah. as Doctor Who was off the air. Mm-hmm. There'd been the TV movie. <clears throat> and, you know, my theory on the TV movie is that was the turning point at which the general public, in Great Britain at least, sort of started thinking themselves Doctor Who's not this embarrassing thing that we thought of it as when it left and you know I've said Dimensions in Time was like the nail in the coffin of the embarrassing version of Doctor Who and the TV movie was the start of people thinking about it as something that they had fond memories of Mm. and that modern television techniques could do a version of Mm. which was true to the spirit of the original but which had you know, sets and effects Mm. that lived up to how people thought they remembered it. And so I think there was a certain amount of wherewithal within the BBC, or not necessarily within the BBC as an organisation, but within people who worked for the BBC, because that's how these things work after all, to do something with Doctor Who, but nobody really was quite sure what. Because the thing about the TV movie was... It had proved that people liked Doctor Who enough that they wanted more of it. But because, even even though this was just in America, it had failed to all intents and purposes, I think there was a bit of fear about bringing Doctor Who back for the telly. So what happened instead was, they were fishing around, Dan Friedman in particular, who was behind this, was fishing around for some other way to do Doctor Who, and wrote a pilot script for a version that would have been on Radio 4. Now, Radio 4 said, OK, we'll give you the money to do your pilot script. Mm. So he wrote a half-hour script for a 30-minute radio slot, and Radio 4 turned it down. So he didn't get to do the rest of the story, but because they had the money to record it, there was this 30-minute recording mm. banging around that nobody knew what to do with, because if Radio 4 weren't going to put it on, what were you going to do with it? Now, at about the same time... <clears throat> 
And this is probably all on the documentary on Scream and the Schalker. I'm not quite sure how much depth that goes into because it's a while since I watched that. <clears throat> but at around the same time, BBC were getting into putting stuff on their website. Hmm. And as is the way with these things, when you first start up doing something on your website, it's kind of simple stuff. But the BBC, being that it's an audio-visual organisation, wanted to get more into putting stuff on their website that replicated the kind of stuff that was on the telly and went a little bit further than just having audio dramas like you'd be able to get on the radio. I mean, you don't need to tune into the internet to listen to a half-hour radio play. You can get it on the radio. Mm-hmm. So they started to look at putting together very simple animation with basically a radio play so that essentially what you had was somewhere in between the two media. Mm-hmm. And so this 30-minute script for Death Comes to Time came up. Somebody said, well, it's not going to be that difficult to put it together with a few pictures, is it? And lo and behold, next thing you know, I think what happened was they put the first 30 minutes on the BBC website to take a look at how many hits it got to see if it was worth greenlighting enough cash to do the rest of the story, which was going to be another five 30-minute episodes, three hours altogether. Mm. Obviously, it did well enough that they um, said yes. And next thing you know, summer of 2002, I think it was, you've got all six episodes on the radio. Mm. Now, the really weird thing about it is the people making Death Comes to Time have taken the name of Doctor Who and they've taken the names of characters out of Doctor Who and they've taken a handful of ideas that were around during the Sylvester McCoy period of Doctor Who and they've seemed to have made something entirely different Mm. from what I can gather. Lee, you can tell us a bit more about that, perhaps, if you can remember. Yeah, do you know what? I didn't know it was that that many episodes. I can't can't remember quite how long it was, but... Mm. um, that's exactly it. It felt like something entirely different <clears throat> that the Doctor had been slotted into. <clears throat> I mean, I like the kind of epic size of it. It's a bit like the Trigon Empire, if you ever read that. It's like a huge, massive, sprawling universe that they've created, and you've got masses of sound effects and great music chuntering all the way through. So it does feel like like a big, you know, a massive epic. A big much, production. A big production, yeah. that's the word. And, you, and actually, and it, just to butt in, yeah. you can do that in this format because all you need is somebody to draw the pictures. Absolutely, yeah. And it kind of worked. It kind of worked. But I just thought, I think the story by the end of it was almost too big for its boots and it failed a bit. There's some major things that happened to the Doctor um, and Ace and stuff in it. And, well, you know, major let's not myth, beat around the bush. Major he dies at the end he of He dies. Uh, and major, she gets made into a time yeah. lord. I mean, we know now... That that was the earmarked, in earmarked for Ace. Season 27, yeah. But uh, Kill the Doctor was a bit weird. But anyway, um, you know, things like uh, John Sessions being in it. I'm not a massive fan of John Sessions at all. Mm. But I thought he was great in it. I mean, his yeah. character was purely evil mm-hmm. and really quite ahead of its time as far as <clears throat> movie villains go. And, uh, you know, the way he was portraying it. And the, and the comedy beats, the, the dark comedy beats yeah. of delivering the lines of destroying populations of, uh, of parts of planets and things it was quite nasty he is a nasty character and it, it really did work and yet there is a threat there but i think the problem is is it it does actually work better as an audio yeah not as a visual thinking. because we're looking at just pictures yeah and the pictures are so off-putting well i think i think the impression i got from the little 
We watched five we minutes saw, of each saw, of these we before saw, we started yeah, recording. Yeah. yeah. The impression I got was it would have worked better as an audio because any sort of image attached to this kind of space opera, this epic space opera, it just limits your imagination immediately. Mm-hmm. So it's clearly written as an audio, as a radio drama. And yeah. and that's there's a different sort of form, so it's all suggested through sound yeah, yeah. effects. And and there are puns in there that you rely on you actually not seeing the thing. So the TARDIS arrives at the beginning. And actually that would have worked so much better if we hadn't actually seen the image. I think the image is actually actually detracted from the They story. do. And they're not bad images. I mean they're drawn mm. by Lee Sullivan. He's oh, a yeah. great artist. Yeah. He does the three of them here. Actually. Yeah. Lee um, Sullivan does all three of the yeah. ones before Scream of the And Shark I do it. actually like his artwork, you know, just with a few lines he can make a really good expression on a face. You know, he's a dying kind of person. But um, it doesn't. It just doesn't work. I mean, because it's not animated as such. It's just pictures, if I remember. Yeah. Basically, right? yeah. Yeah, um, uh, which kind of fade into each other. Yeah. It, you know, it's <clears throat> it, the other. The other and, and, the, and the other weird thing is. Yeah. Um, oh no! Go on. You, you, you no, no, you, I was going to talk you about talk when about, I talk when about I, your weird thing. Well, I was going to talk about when I saw it, but I think we could probably all go around the table with that, can we? When we first saw it, or how we first saw it, because it was... No, because you're the only one who's seen it. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I first saw it about half an hour ago. Oh, no, I've, I've heard it. I listened to the pilot, I think. Oh, right, well. But um, my, I'm, I'm not a huge fan of that sort of epic, hard sci-fi. Oh. But actually, I think it worked here, particularly when it's injected mm. into Doctor Who, so things like Frontier in Space. Mm. Well, I was going to say... Isn't my favourite. <clears throat> given um, the span of it, from what I gather... Mm. It seems so non-Doctor Who. Yeah. But you're saying it actually works. Well, yeah, because it's so non-Doctor Who that actually when the TARDIS arrives, it sort of worked for me because it's... Uh, it's, See, I thought it really... It it drove a wedge into the actual... When it starts off, it's really epic, it's really big. Yeah. And I'm thinking, oh, actually, you know, I don't really need Doctor Who. I'm quite enjoying this. Yeah. And then when Sylvester McCoy turns up, bless his little socks, mm. with a, a, a boy companion, <laughs> <laughs> which seemed a bit, you know, just the way he was introduced. Like, Hello, it's Sam. Hi, it's yes. Antimony. This is, Hello. Hi, I'm the Doctor. This is my friend, Antimony. <laughs> yeah. Around the horn. With yeah. no explanation yeah. whatsoever of uh, why it's Antimony rather yeah. than no, Ace. Yeah. Exactly. And no, this is so, enough, yeah, yeah. enough time yeah. has passed that you don't need an explanation. Yeah. No. But it would have been, well, it was kind of odd the way it was played. Well, actually, yes. but but I, I liked that, and and we're not talking about it yet. But compared with how they did Sharda, I actually preferred the way they introduced Death Comes to Comes to Time. I think they just they just just get ignored, into it. It just cut through the chaff, <clears> and they just started the story. I thought the Doctor arriving helped because I was just about starting to get bored oh, with right. the Argle right. of a Boyg invading the the gruntle fruits of of well, you've just brought something up, but I'll come back to. I quite quite like space operas. Yeah, (laughs) it it hadn't quite it hadn't quite because I think I was looking for Time Lords and I was looking for for the I was unconsciously looking for a connection with Mm. with Doctor Who. Yeah. That I was distracted, and it yeah. was just a sort of a slight that was just the intro, and the images. Though, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. As soon as the doctor turns up, it's the doctor. Yeah, but it's a doctor with an edge, even more mm. so than yeah. the TV one. You know, him uh, inviting what's his name again? It's, it's Antimony. Not, Antimony to s- knock out someone straight away. Yeah, in a and and you know the intonation of his voice is yeah, just go and knock him out, will you? <laughs> it's very undoctor like really, yeah. isn't it? But uh, where's well, the sort of seventh doctor maybe two seasons along from where we left him. Yeah, yeah, yeah maybe so. Maybe getting harder and harder. <clears throat> I 
Okay, the funny words that you've just come up with. I'm getting the impression... When you say funny words... Oh, the frugal okay, okay. slacks I thought you just meant my, my whole commentary on the, on the thing. Well, this is what <laughs> I think all the time, but use, I don't usually get to say it. funny words. <laughs> Sorry, yeah. The, the frugal flacks and the grungle gargs or yes, whatever. Yeah. <laughs> I'm getting the impression that Dan Friedman is more of a Douglas Adams fan no, yeah. than yeah. a Doctor Who fan. Yeah. And because he can't do Douglas Adams... Well, you know, because you can't do Douglas Adams unless you've got Douglas Adams, right? Yeah. I get the impression he wanted to write a Douglas Adams-ish story and Doctor Who was the vessel by mm. which he was able to do that. I mean, I don't know enough about Death Comes to Time, but Lee, you're kind of nodding at me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There are lots of elements of it that you can definitely see that he's got um, some kind of an influence. But it's it's Apart from it hum- hasn't got humor, the humour yeah. right. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's got that sort of not 90s, a bad project, that nineties. It's not nineties, but it's it's got yeah. a sort of a nineties kind of po-faced, serious. Mm. We've got to do Deep Space Nine here, and that's the ru- that's why. It, and... Yeah, that's why it doesn't work, isn't it? I mean, I like the two. I like Doctor Who, and I like space opera, and I like yeah. serious sci-fi, but the elements don't quite work no. in this series in this story. Yeah. Mm. Um, not not quite, but there are bits of it which I really which like. I guess. I guess Therefore, it's appropriate that the Doctor dies at the end because he doesn't fit into this story. So the only thing you can do with him yeah. is kill him. Well, the, and actually, this may be just uh, the Master's Mind Palace. <laughs> well, actually, <laughs> at the end of it, it comes to a scene... Oh, um, spoilers, but Christ, if anybody's not seen Death Comes to Time, I'm not sure they're going to seek it out on the basis of what we've been saying. <laughs> but at the end of it, there's a scene where the Doctor has his, to give his life to save the situation... And you see the situation being saved. You don't actually see him being killed. You see the situation being saved. And the assumption is that because he said he had to give his life to make it happen, the fact that he doesn't turn up and say, Hey guys, I'm alright, at the end, means that he's dead. But Ace, of course, doesn't think that's necessarily the case. And my assumption is what this was setting up was not necessarily a sequel, but a follow-up. Like, potentially this is the first story in a series, whereby the second story would start off with Ace or Antimony or whoever looking for the Doctor. And then in the second story, at the end of the first episode, you find the Doctor and then you go on from there and it's Doctor Who. It's a bit like the proposed ending to Trial of the Time Lord. Yes, I was going to bring that up. You end up with a cliff, so it's a sort of an Eric Sayward kind of... Yeah, that's what I'm saying, that's what I mean. It's got Ace going off to be a Time Lord... The Doctor, it's all things that have been proposed for the series, yeah. but that didn't actually turn up in the series. Mm. See, I quite like I quite like what I saw. I, I was, you know, I would have watched more of of that one. It's it's, mm. mu- it's kind of more dense and more interesting to watch, I suppose, than maybe real time is, which is a much more yeah. easier watch. Mm. Um, and it's an experiment. It's an yeah. experiment by somebody who. I don't think is steeped in Doctor Who mythology or it's done. I don't know if Dan Friedman was a massive, massive Doctor Who fan. Or whether he was he's, obviously a fan. He's a fan, but I don't but, think yeah. he's like a. Which know, is interesting because a super fan because we've had which is pretty much good. Doctor Who written in big finish and in, on the television by people who know the series inside yeah, out and back yeah. to front. This is quite interesting to see what yeah. somebody would have done. It's a bit like what would have happened possibly with the TV movie had it gone to a series where it's written by. Yeah. People who may know the series but not necessarily be hardcore fans. No, and uh, they just do different things. And it's an interesting direction, isn't it? Yeah. And, and because it's an experiment, it makes it very easy or very interesting to watch. 
because um, one thing about Doctor Who is, if you're watching a Doctor Who story in the middle of a Doctor Who series, you kind of know what kind of tone it's going to hit. You kind of know what the characters are going to do. You kind of know what kind of stories you're going to get. Mm. Whereas with Death Comes in Time, from one minute to the next, you can never be quite sure what's going to happen because you yeah. don't know what people are going to throw at it. No, so that, Doc, Doctor right. Who normally is comforting, and this is discomforting, yeah. which, is a good, which is a good thing. Yeah, it's sort of it jars. And again, it's uh, you know we said it earlier about Lee Sullivan, but there's the, the landscapes. That's what I wanted to quickly say. The landscapes are great. You know the kind of uh, the imagination that he's got that he, that he paints. I can't remember the thing about Stonehenge though. <laughs> for some of myself, I've completely forgotten that bit. For some reason. <clears throat> well, uh, that's probably most have, of it. For you some... might have to contextualise that for the, for yeah. the listeners. Well, I've got four discs, and Scream of the Shulk is the only one that's been released, so the other discs are in um, homemade boxes with covers that oh. I've downloaded off the internet. <laughs> is that what you're trying to say? Oh, right. So and the very... Death Comes to Time one's got a picture of Stonehenge on the front, in it. <laughs> They're very nice looking. <laughs> I'm presuming you've, got, you've done a similar thing with the, with the missing episodes as well. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. I've seen them all. Um, just, a, just a brief thing here. With these four episodes that we're four stories we're about to talk about, you know, we just said that Death Comes to Some Time is is one person's view of Doctor Who and their it's their you know their creation their baby their vision of it. And real time, Sharda and Scream obviously are no no we'll get into this yeah, later yeah. because this is an interesting story to, to tell All right, and okay, that's we'll exactly where I was about to go. Right, go for so, it. So <clears throat> what happens? <laughs> Death comes to time. They put the pilot on. If I'm getting my dates right, the pilot goes on the internet in the summer of 2001, gets greenlit, so they make the other five episodes, which they show in the early summer of 2002, and then by the late summer of 2002, already, they've got the second one lined up. Because what they do is, they go to Big Finish, who are already making Doctor Who, and ask Big Finish if they'll provide them with the audio for the next one. Mm. So it's as quick a turnaround as that. Mm. Now, this is where I think they really miss a trick. Because it can't be costing that much more to put these on the internet than it is just to record these things in the first place. They've got some kind of deal with Big Finish, whereby Big Finish are making these things for BBCI but then subsequently releasing them on CD anyway. So the costs are ameliorated between the two companies. So BBCI are essentially getting these animations for what they are at enough of a knockoff price that when real time turns up in the later summer of 2002, they really could have used it as the first story in an actual series. Mm. But what happens instead is you wait a whole year before the next one turns up. We'll come to mm. that in a minute because there are entirely different reasons why the next one turns up. So real time, in the end, instead of being the first in the series, stands entirely alone. Mm. And there's a knock-on of that, which we'll come to after we talk about Sharda. But real time, it's... It tells a fairly standard Doctor Who type story. Actually, it's something of a cross between Tomb of the Cybermen and, um, oh God, what was that film by the people who did Independence Day? Turned into a series, Stargate. 
Stargate. Okay. It's like Stargate <coughs> meets Tomb of the Cybermen. That's exactly what it is. <clears throat> but, <laughs> as I recall, because I think it's a couple of years since I've watched Real Time, mm. as I recall, the story itself is fairly clever mm. and ends on a really ambiguous note. Which is supposed to get picked up. We'll talk about that later. But it's an easier, it's still an easier watch and listen than say "Death Comes to Time" is. Well, it's a more familiar. Yes, watch and yeah, listen. that's right. Yeah. Can I just say about where I saw "Death Comes to Time" because I think that's okay. quite interesting. Okay, go on then. Um, obviously, this was the the first to be put onto the computers to watch, and it took a while to download. Mm-hmm. Quite a while in two thousand and one, yes. mm-hmm. and uh, you know I work at the library and we would we have computers in the library and they were just coming in, so I spent my lunch hours going in to watch Death Comes to Time, and I was really excited by the fact that this was happening mm-hmm. because we all forget how in the early two thousands the internet was expanding at rate of knots, mm-hmm. exciting things were happening, and this was a really exciting time to see that happen f- with my favorite TV show. Because yeah, yeah. I think it's one of the first ones that was put on. Oh, ever. yeah. <clears throat> well, Doctor Who's been the innovator in a lot, in of, a lot areas. of areas. Yeah. Not because of the... Well, I say not because of the programme. Yes, because of the programme, but more because of the kind of people who end up working on the programme because Doctor Who's the kind of television programme mm. breeds creativity. Mm. So the kind of people who work on it are going to be at the forefront of things like this. Mm. Was it the first cartoon or the first type of cartoon for Doctor Who? Live? Oh, yeah, yeah. It was, wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah, so the excitement... And, but you're right as well. I think it was the first one on the internet, certainly from the BBC, yeah. because they were using it as... Because also... The most downloaded thing that the BBC had yeah. or something at the time. But also the BBC knows <coughs> that Doctor Who is also the kind of a programme that has fans who are at the <laughs> forefront of innovations as well, and also who are dedicated to the programme. Mm. So putting something like Doctor Who on on the internet, A, you've got to built-in audience already there who are already, you know, first-stage adopters, and B, the ones who aren't first-stage adopters are going to adopt because Doctor Who's there on the internet. Mm. So you win on both fronts. And we also had, I mean, we had Paul McGann as the current Doctor on the face of Doctor Who magazine, Mm -hmm. in the face of of the world. He was the last and most current. Well, this is the strange thing, isn't it? We go back and use Sylvester McCoy. Well, I was going to talk about this when we got Scream of the Schalke, because you've got four stories in, (coughs) you've got four different Doctors. Let's do it now, then, because it doesn't matter if we throw these things in in different order. Yeah, you've got Paul McGann, who's been in the TV movie, but, and this is weird, because Paul McGann hasn't, at this point... At the point when they're recording Death Comes to Time, agreed to do Big Finish yet. No, he joins right. Big Finish in 2001, doesn't he? And it was a bit later than that, but... Is that or maybe right? it's 2002. Big Finish starts in 99 and Paul McGann joins in 2001. That's what I thought. Oh, really? I could be wrong. Okay. But anyway, the point yeah. is, Death Comes to Time, the radio pilot, it was July 2001 when it was on the internet, but obviously the radio pilot was recorded mm. in... 99 or 2000, wasn't it? Because mm, it yeah. was sitting around before it got animated. So Paul McGann isn't folded back into the family yet. That's why McCoy's in this one. McGann does the TV movie. And if you remember, in the immediate aftermath of the TV movie and before he joined Big Finish, he was doing a bit of a Tom Baker because mm, he didn't know how much right. he wanted to throw himself into it. Mm. And Big Finish is what brought him into the Doctor Who family, as it were. Would Death Comes to Time have been better with Paul McGann, do you think? 
with, oh, a, with a sort of an unfamiliar doctor. Do you know what I think? It I don't think it would have worked well, though, because I, I think your darker McCoy of season twenty six is what oh. makes that. But from what we watched, yeah. if, although if, we've had so such at that point such little Paul McGann that you could have taken the Paul McGann Doctor in any direction after <coughs> you could have sort yeah. of a blank with a, with a big rewrite. Right? I mean, yeah. because obviously you know it's centered around McCoy's darkness as yeah. well. So, well, yeah. and the books did a similar thing. The um the Eighth Doctor Adventures they took him in a different direction too. But well, they have to do it gradually, surely. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I think throwing true. him in and having him dark from the start of Death yeah. Comes at Time mm. might have been a jump too far anyway. But yeah. the fact is, he yes. wouldn't have agreed yeah. to do it at this no. point. So mm. that becomes moot. That, and then real time, maybe this does show us where McGann started. But then again, Sharda's only a year after real time and McGann's in Sharda. So I think real time is on the cusp of whether or not they could have gotten again. But... <clears throat> With Death Comes to Time having done the Seventh Doctor, and with real time at least showing an indication on the BBC's behalf, particularly given that the return to television hasn't been greenlighted at this point, mm. I think what Big Finish are thinking here is we're going to be doing these one, maybe two a year for the foreseeable future. Mm. So I think what real time demonstrates is their... Um, Willingness is not the word. Their desire to do the video dramas on the internet in the same way as they're doing the audio dramas on Big Finish mm-hmm. is by sharing them around between the doctors. Yeah. yeah. yeah so yeah. what you get is a Colin Baker story after the Sylvester McCoy story. And presumably the idea was that at some point you'd have had a Davison story too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And of course things didn't quite work out like that. But then McGann, by the time... They come to do Sharda, and we'll talk about the reasons why they do Sharda when we get to it. You've then got McGann in the next one. So you've had three of the four big Finnish doctors by this point, and then something happens that kind of kicks the baby and the bathwater out altogether, so you never get to have the Davison one. And there's a whole story behind that that we'll come to. But... <clears throat> That's my theory, is that Big Finish were intending to do at least one a year and share it out between the Doctors, and that's why you get this really weird progression from seven to six to eight. I wonder if if maybe one of the Davison stories in Big Finish was possibly one of those... Could well have been. Yeah. Something. I don't know what, what, but... Well, by the time it was written, it probably wouldn't have been. But at the time the idea was conceived, it might well have been. I quite liked what I saw of real time. Um, the the animation was very strange. Very basic. Where it also cut to very odd close-ups of mm. of Colin Baker's jackets. Mm. Which, well, the thing with which, real time is there's no actual animation. It's, no, just, it's just drawings. Yeah, yeah. But so they, they try and cut as often yes, as possible to keep and, the illusion of yeah, movement. And but, really, they needed to cut slightly less. I yeah, I have to say, I found that. Uh, very irritating. We watched it a minute ago. I don't remember finding that bad when I first watched it. Cause no, I, actually, it was me all, either. It, it was, was when Matt new. points it out that all of a sudden it becomes <laughs> an issue. Yeah, Matt yeah. ruined yeah. it for us. But uh, no, no, real time. Watch, you know, watching the little cuts, like you say, between the badge, the cat badge, and yes. and then uh, uh, you know a mid shot, and then a close up, and a mid shot again. It's like, yeah. oh. and then there's another close up, which seems to be a close up of Colin Baker's neck, which is abstract and yeah. odd. Yes. I mean, there's no yeah. point for. 
I don't know. The, What's that about? The, I really detracted from what was going on, I felt. I had to close my eyes. The <laughs> other, like, listen to the it. The other thing I had about it was it had Lee and Herring in it. And I love, I really like Stuart yeah. Lee. He's not the best actor, I no. don't think. But also, I'm pretty sure they were in Slipback. Am I misremembering? Oh, I don't know. Have we got a programme guide behind oh. us on the shelf? Oh, God, I've probably got Slipback somewhere. I've probably got the tape somewhere. We'll have to check it. But I've got a feeling that... That they had a similar double act in that, and Slipback is isn't Slipback is eighty six or something though, isn't it? Yeah, they, were, yeah. they weren't together then, were they? I think it was pretty early on in there. It must have been really early. Yeah, on, yeah. Because I thought they were kind of nineties comedians. When when Jr. takes a loo break, I'll hunt down. I'll hunt down <laughs> that could be Slipback and confirm it. Or is that? Is I wasn't going to take a loo break. I was going to limit this episode to an actual hour for once. Yeah, good luck. <laughs> <laughs> we spent most of the time talking about the. The Ida down section, <laughs> but yeah. So, it, but but whether they were in it or not, it's still having Colin Baker in a in a sort of an audio drama reminded me of Slipback, and I kind mm. of Slipback was the right time for me, and I kind of enjoyed it whilst it was on. But that was very that was an oddity, wasn't it? Twin delivery, lots, lots of short, short, snappy yeah, five yeah. minute stories on Pirate FM or something. It was yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, and that was also heavily Doug- influenced by Douglas Adams. That was a Douglas mm. Adams done by Eric Saywood, wasn't it? Yeah. Eric Saywood seemed very good at, at trying to copy other people. Better writers. Anyway, um, <laughs> should we go on to... <laughs> yes. Well, no, on the subject okay, of real time, here's my question, because not knowing either of these things well enough, because Big Finish are doing this for... Um, the internet as opposed to directly for a CD release, are they actually doing the story slightly differently from the kinds of stories they'd normally be doing? Or is this literally a big finish type story just with pictures? It is different. It does feel a bit different. Does actually. It, I mean, yeah. we've got Evelyn Smythe in it. I think it's fantastic. I, this I is a bugbear with me. Do you don't like her? We... No, no, no. Oh. This is a bugbear with me. They've come up with this character. They've called her Evelyn Smythe. Yeah. Not one person in that production office has stopped and said, no, the name Evelyn is actually a Scottish name and it's pronounced with a hard E at the start. It's not Evelyn, it's Evelyn. Ooh. Okay. I don't know. It gets Dear me Mr. every Russell. time I hear anybody say it out loud. Dear God, Mr. Gary Russell. Your blood pressure must be astronomical, <laughs> Joe. It's my OCD. Anyway, Evelyn Smythe. <laughs> <laughs> Um, yeah, no, great character. I really like her, and I think that's that's the real link to the big finish thing here. If you'd have taken her out, this could have, this wouldn't have felt like a big finish adventure to me. It feel it does feel different. But Why does it feel different? I tell you what's a slightly odd decision in the first place is because this is on the internet rather than on just purely and simply oh, on the big finish audio. It's the different. Yeah. No, but they've got to try and sell these to people who are not just because big finish. Regardless of how good the work they do is, they've got a very finite selling base, customer base. But these things on the internet, they're free to anybody. Mm. And presumably the idea with these is you want to get as big an audience as possible. Mm. And with Death Comes to Time, you know, in that opening scene, the TARDIS lands, he throws the door open and says, Say hello to my friend Antimony. But the next thing you know, Ace is in it. My special friend. (laughs) Ace is in it just minutes later. And before yeah. you know it, it's the Seventh Doctor and Ace story with mm. somebody else. So the somebody else is an indication that time's moved on and you're watching mm. it on a different medium. But the fact that you've still also got the same 
companion as well is uh, a way of tying it back to the continuity of the series. Mm. With real time, you would have thought that they would have made that with Perry. Because you're trying to sell these, not to the people who buy Big Finish, but to the people who remember the Sixth Doctor and Perry on the telly. That would so. be slip-back-tastic. Yeah. <laughs> that, really... that, that that's exactly right. As much as I love Evelyn, yeah. I think it would have worked better with Perry, this story. For sure. I, so I think it would just take me back to slip-back much more. Because <laughs> if I'm right and Lynn Herring is slip-back, that's four of the cast members from that. I also, I might be misremembering, <laughs> didn't sure Gary Russell do a sequel? But he he did it in a comic strip in the Radio Times. Oh, maybe because oh, the idea with Real Time was that it was supposed to have a sequel, yeah. and it deliberately ends I've, on this ambiguous, I've, I've got ambiguous a memory of him it. doing a comic strip in the Radio Times with does Colin it, Baker. I can't, does it end with Evelyn Smythe still in the clutches of the Cybermen or something? Can't look at me. I can't no. remember. I'm sorry. Oh, it's been okay. <sighs> um, but it's something like that. Mm. But yeah, it's a slightly odd decision. A slightly, you know, probably made with the best of intentions, but looking mm. back on it with, you know, enough distance and time, it's a slightly insular decision. But with, with mm. a few bits of a, you know, little tweaking, uh, it could be a very good, serviceable audio story. Mm. Yeah. Well, in I'm fact, saying it was. it's like I'm a writer. Well, <laughs> no, but it's... Um, both Real Time and Death Comes to Time were put out on audio with extra scenes added in. Yeah. Mm. Yes, that's right. Yes, I have heard it, yeah. Yeah, so you actually get more of it on audio, and it probably... You know, because this is also people who've been working in one medium trying to transpose those capabilities to another medium of which nobody really at this point has any experience, so everybody's doing it brand new and fresh. So something like Real Time is almost bound, and Death Comes to Time, by the very nature of how it was conceived, bound to have more of an affinity with audio than they are with audio-visual, like the TV. And weirdly, really hardcore Doctor Who fans wouldn't find watching real-time that uncomfortable because it's a bit like watching Loose Cannon's reconstructions with tennis yes. snaps. Well, because that's just, yeah. that, that's just another... To be honest... an unusual way of watching something, but... It shares a kind of analogous similarity with watching four camera video in a mm. studio set mm. in a way you know the difference between real time and watching four camera video in a studio set is not that much of a difference between four camera video in a studio set and somebody with 16 million 16 millimeter film cameras out on location doing single shots and editing it together do you know what i mean I'm talking yeah. kind of analogously. Yeah. But but if you're used to the suspension of disbelief that's required yeah. to believe that vengeance yeah. on Varos takes place on an actual alien planet, real time is that not not mm. that much of a greater suspension of disbelief. Mm. Yeah. And there's um it was done in six ten minute shorts, wasn't it? Something like that, yeah. Yes, and that's why it feels different. That's what I was right. trying to put my finger on. It's okay. the it's the pacing, it's the yeah, way the storytelling's yeah. Told, mm. and this is the model actually that gets taken on in sort of various ways for the Infinite Quest and Dreamtime. Yeah, yeah, and the Infinite Quest works really well, I think. Oh, you weren't there when we talked about the Infinite Quest, were you? No, did you not like it? Did you listen to it? 
No. <laughs> well, you'll never know. You should, you, should, you should listen to the podcast and you'll find out. I liked the, the Infinite, Infinite Quest. quest. Yeah. I liked it. I liked it. Yeah. It was like watching a lost, I'm just going to repeat it, a lost David Tennant. Yes. It was the music I didn't like, and I'm repeating oh, no, myself the, again. No, the music. Because I, as, I we, agree. as JR pointed out, it was it, it's intended to fill five minute chunks. Yes. So it's constant if you watch it all yeah. in the one go. Yeah. But yeah. No. So it works as five minute chunks weekly yeah. on Totally Doctor Who. Yes. But as one singular watch, they if should have re- they should have reworked the music yeah. a bit, rescored yeah. it a bit. Yeah. yeah. I totally agree. Okay. But no, visual wise, I love it. I think it's great. And story wise, it's just a. What we need fun, to do now is a sort of an Ian Levine thing of clipping out what we've just said <laughs> about the Infinity Quest and put it back into the podcast yeah. to really extend and it. And call it the Infinity Quest instead yeah. of the Infinite Quest. Yes. Which is what you just called it. Did I? <laughs> yeah. We'll clip that bit out as well. Or okay. overdub right. me. Yes. Yeah. Right. There we go. Right, okay. And we'll do the do the uh, score with kazoos. Okay. Right, if you two are quite done talking about the <laughs> Infinity Quest, which yes. I have to say has been a bit of an infinite test of my patience, let's talk about Sharda, shall we? Hey. But before we do, Matt, what's your revelation? Oh, yes, yeah. They were in it after all. Lee, would you like to corroborate? No, they no, were they, not, they weren't. were they, Matt? I might have been thinking of... Well, there was something called Real Time that they were both in. <laughs> I might have been thinking of that. Yeah. Well, it might have been a big finish. Another big finish that they were in. Maybe. But I mean, after all, all, all they've been in real time. All, That's more likely. All in all, I misremembered a detail from the Colin Baker story slip back that I last listened to in 1980-something. Six. Six. <laughs> and it was really rubbish. So uh, so I feel, I feel comfortable with myself that I have misremembered it, but it's fine. Yes. 1985 is what I meant. Okay. Well... Does anybody know why they decided to do Sharda, other than I, just because it was the story that never got finished and somebody said, did, let's finish it? When did Douglas Adams die? Oh, a while before this, wasn't it? Wasn't it in the 1990s? I thought it was not long before this. I don't know. Oh, I Maybe. could be wrong. I don't know if that was the reason, though, was it? There no, was a no, reason, but, I can't remember it, but I'm sure you're going to tell us. No, I don't. I'm asking. Uh, I mean, I'd, I'd imagine... It's it's an unproduced Doctor Who story. They've got the script. Well, it's not it's just by Douglas Adams. But, but, yeah, also, but they're also including a different Doctor. Well, and we'll get into this. Also, I'm just trying to hand it initially with. They must have asked Tom Baker at least to appear with his ex-wife Lana Ward. Yes, in a recording studio. <clears> but he, yeah, they did he ask him, and he said no. <laughs> well, surprisingly enough. Yeah. I would imagine it's a bit like a, that convention I, I went to in the early nineties, uh, nineteen ninety three, when there was no hope of Doctor Who ever coming back, and it was a really miserable convention. <laughs> so many miserable faces: John Nathan Turner looking miserable, um, Peter Purvis looking. Everybody was miserable that day for some reason. Sylvester McCoy had broken his leg or something wow, like that, and nice. yeah, everybody was in a real bad mood. Good and Marla Ward and Tom Baker were booked to be there, but nobody had bothered to tell. I don't think either of them that either of them were turning up, so neither of them turned up. Excellent. <laughs> wow. So neither of them, <clears throat> and then uh, I think Terry Walsh had died as well. That same, okay. or it's something like that. It was a real terrible convention. Right, onto a happier time. subject. Yeah. Yes. Okay. I, so I did sell a, a fruit machine though to somebody. That was quite good. I had a Doctor Who fruit machine once. Were you a, were you a con man? No, I just had it. and I wanted You to make sell. it sound like you sold the Eiffel Tower to someone. <laughs> yeah, it wasn't the Eiffel Tower. <laughs> okay. Okay, Sharda then. 
So, I mean, this goes out in 2003, and this is still before the announcement that the TV series is coming back. Mm. Real Time has been on in the summer of 2002, and they've not done anything in the meantime. Because this, again, just to reiterate, this to me is where this goes badly wrong. If Doctor Who's going to be on in this sort of format, it needs to be on for a proper season, rather than just you know, four or six episodes making up a... Actually, they're all six, aren't they, the first three? Rather than six, ten or fifteen-minute episodes or whatever it is making up a story across the course of six weeks one summer, they actually needed to sit down and make it like a proper season. Even if there's only three stories of six episodes each, it would feel substantial and it would feel like... Because the people making these things... I've no idea that Doctor Who's coming back on the telly. And they're trying to make this the new home for Doctor Who going into the future. But in order to establish it as a home, it doesn't need to be a place where Doctor Who turns up occasionally. Mm -hmm. It needs to be a place where Doctor Who's actually bedded in. And having one story in the summer, and then you wait a whole another 12 months before the next one comes on, that's not somewhere where something's at home. That's somewhere where something turns up. So the decision to do Sharda seems to me to be at odds with how they're presenting Doctor Who. Hmm. They're presenting Doctor Who here as something that's special and out of the ordinary. Now, Sharda, for them to go back to the Douglas Adams script and say, right, let's make it, let's make a version of the whole story... Sharda needed to feel special because of that. But because real time had just stood by itself and death comes to time had just stood by itself and because they both had different doctors in and because real time has had the companion off the audios, they already felt really distinct from one another. So when Sharda comes along, instead of feeling special, we've mounted this production of this story at last after all these years. And here it is as like... Uh, in in modern parlance, here it is in the same way as the Christmas episode stands distinct from the series. Sharda needed to stand distinct from the other dramas that they were doing. But instead, it just feels like another one that's at odds with the others, like the first two are already at odds with one another. But f- from memory, which we've demonstrated is, from my memory, is flawless tonight. Didn't, didn't Sharda... So Sharda, the Paul McGowan Sharda was originally a BBC <clears throat> Seven... Radio production, not not an internet. No, I think thing. it was the other way around. I thought it was first on because it was part of. Yeah, I mean, when when did they? Because uh, they started doing putting the Paul McGann audios on Radio Seven as well, and I thought it was tied in with that. There was a special science fiction slot, yeah. wasn't there, on Radio yeah. Seven? Yeah, I think you might be right. And then yeah, they no, added. This then was they added after the it was anima- back on TV. Then they added the animation afterwards. No, the McGann. I don't know. The oh, way it I, might not be tied in with the show. Are you, t- are you talking about? You're not. But, you're not getting confused with the Paul McGann run on BBC Seven. That was no, quite I recent. Thought, yeah, I thought. So, I thought Shard of. I thought it was first on of BBC Glam Rock Seven and things like that. Uh, yeah, I think that was later. That was the that Sher- was later. That was yeah. the Sheridan Smith stuff. Yeah, which was later. But I think the Shard Shard was a sort of a, a sort of a tryout into this slot. Was Radio, Radio 7, Seven around then? Two thousand three. I think so. Yeah. Yeah, I might be wrong, and then okay. they then they released it with the with the animation. Okay, maybe mm. we need to look into this. 
Well, either way, but yes, yeah. <clears throat> it still seems like a yeah, bizarre yeah. decision. Yeah. Well, it, no, in a way, it, it sounds like a perfectly logical decision. Here's a Douglas Adams script that's never been able to be broadcast because yeah. it never got finished. Yeah. Let's do a version of it that we finish so mm. we can broadcast it. That's an eminently sensible decision. Mm. Fishing around for somewhere to put it is... Mm. And I suppose when your options are that limited, you know, there's not mm. a great deal else you can do. And actually, we're probably fortunate that they did it when they did, because if they'd waited till the TV series had come back, the entire thing gets knocked on the head, doesn't it? Because mm. the thing with Scream of the Shalker is Paul, um, Paul McGann, Richard E. Grant is supposed to be the next canon doctor mm. when scream of the shalker comes out but before it's even broadcast the announcement that he's coming back on tv has already made it obsolete and his role as the doctor redundant so i suppose it's happy that shada happened when it did mm. but it is a very odd fish i mean we watched the little sort of prologue thing for it to yeah. see how they the, fold it the, into camp. The non-Douglas Adams bit. Yeah, well, yeah. Pro, the, like you said, JR, the prologue is important. to be, It has to be there to, in, in order to show that it's Paul McGann's Doctor in the first place. Mm. Because we all know, Doctor Who Founder knows it's a Tom Baker episode. Yeah. So in order to kind of change, use that Doctor, Paul McGann's, they have to have this introduction with Romana and a reason for it happening. And I actually quite liked it. Yeah. I know you don't. No, I don't. I, do. I liked the fact that they did that. And I liked it the first time around. Oh, that's well, rather clever. I, I, think, I think the complete reverse of what you just said, I think they needed not to have it. Because I don't think with a Douglas Adams story, I don't think they needed to appeal to Doctor Who fans. They needed to, it's much more sellable than that. They just needed to make a story with Douglas Adams' script and just put Paul McGann in and just forget about trying to tie it into the continuity ah, of the yeah, series. Yeah, but this is the Doctor Who world and we're all fans. I know, We yeah. like things tied up and look pretty bows. I don't yeah, mind. Then, I don't mind. I'm quite happy just mm. to see it. To but then, see it. Do you know what you need to do? Not watch that bit. <laughs> <laughs> well, you can watch it without that bit because you can just go but straight the, to the but story. But as we discovered, yeah. they cut the pump bit out because the pump bit then contradicts what you've seen in the prologue. So yeah. what they've done, and this is far worse, they've cut some of Douglas Adams' script out and put this this prologue in. Somebody else mm. has written this prologue. And the, the dialogue in the prologue, and you said it yourself, at one point, there was a Lana sentence. Ward yeah. has this ridiculous sentence. Oh, yeah. But yeah. really, the, the dialogue was purely sort of just... Functional. Just expository. It was, it it was, was just functional. functional. Yeah. The thing is, about and it's the, at the beginning. The, it's supposed to be the beginning of a story. But I liked. I'm in between. Game. I don't think it was necessary to have it. I think if they were going to make the decision to do the story, they should have just done the story. And mm. if it's got a different doctor in it, they should have said, "Well, this is the one we could get," and be damned with it. Yeah. I think they should have just done that. But as they made the decision to do a prologue to, you know, explain how this comes to be in the canon in the continuity, I think the idea of the Doctor realising that he'd lost these two and a half hours or whatever, mm. he says two and a half hours, doesn't he, or two hours yeah. and 23, K-9 says, I think that idea that he realises he's lost these two hours and wants to go back with the same sort of companion team to try and sort of 
fit himself back into the timeline and work out why he's missed it. Mm. I think that's a great idea. Mm. Unfortunately, I suspect that what happens, therefore, is after you've gone through the prologue, you don't get that reiterated unless there's a scene added at the end. Because I think that would have made an interesting idea for a story by itself. Mm. I, I wonder if there's an alternative way. I think there's, there would be a Stephen Moffat way of doing it, which is a bit like the Sherlock Christmas stroke seasonal special. Where, where you, it comes where you in actually, and out. Yeah, so you just have Paul McGann in the story from the start, hit the ground running, and then gradually it's you start to explain mm. why, why he's not Tom Baker. Yeah. So you sort of feed that yeah. prologue into the whole thing. I mean, in a more to be, be honest, uh, that's a great way of doing it, but they wouldn't have had that mindset of, of doing it at that stage, I don't think. Cause we're, you know, and also, it would have taken somebody like Stephen Moffat to think of it. I think so, yeah. yeah. But the punting thing's interesting. I mean, or they, Matt, of they had to have had. <laughs> Haven't watched Stephen Moffat. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> they had to. They couldn't have Paul McGann on the punt at any point because he was seen well, in the Five Doctors. Do you know what? <laughs> oh, Tom what? Baker was seen in the Five <laughs> Doctors. Just, yeah, no, no. That's yeah. That is <laughs> says uh, the man with all the program guys. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. But you know. that's the continuity reason why yeah. they had to cut the bit with the punt out. Yeah. But. They gave themselves a perfect in in that prologue, didn't they? They had the doctor say, something happened here, we got taken out of time, we need to go back and find what it was we needed to do, because otherwise time might unravel if we don't. That would have been better. And so he says to her, look, we've got to go back, and we've got to, like we did in Meglos, where they have to, to get out of the chronic hysteresis, they have to repeat the dialogue that they're due to say in the um, time bubble before it comes up, so they break the time bubble, right? Mm. Mm. So, yeah. So McGann says to mm. Lala, "Let's go back to the punt, repeat what we were saying to one another on the punt, and then see where the timeline takes us, so we can have the adventure yeah. that we should have mm. had if we hadn't have been taken out of it for the events of the Five Doctors." And you get to see Paul McGann and Lala Ward doing the punt scene. But in a, in a way, this is this is no worse. Than human nature. Well, I was I mean, going to bring is, that up a couple of minutes This is a, ago. a different format to the television series. It's in a different place. And Human Nature is a great book. I really love the book. I really love the television series. And the two can happily coexist. Yeah. And without causing yeah. me any, any <laughs> fanished sort of conniptions. But the thing is, that precedent hasn't been set at the time of this. No, and, no. you know, but, but take somebody is, like yeah, Russell T. Davis says, to set a precedent, doesn't but, it? Yeah. But it's in the same way as it would have taken Stephen Moffat. That's how, I, that's how to... I feel about this. Yeah. And we, we got to see a bit more of it as well, didn't we? We got to see um, Dr. Cronatus, uh, who's a different actor. Professor. professor Sorry, Professor. Doctor, yes. no. Um, and... It, you said, oh yeah, completely different performance. Mm. And it is. And it's yeah. the same throughout. You uh, Skagra is different as well. Yeah. It's mm. played by Manuel, isn't he? And Andrew Sachs. Yeah. Yeah. Um, which is great. A great mm. performance again. Yeah. A really, really interesting, different performance. And they, I think they had to be different as well. Oh, yeah. Just, you know, well, because there's such so little of it actually filmed in the television series. Yeah. Well, and also, if you're going to bring a different actor, and if you're going to bring in people... Um, you know, James Fox and Andrew Sachs and people like that, they're not going to want to just sit there and repeat somebody else's performance. No. So, presumably, all the different versions of Sharda that exist now, you must be going mentally. 
because yes. there's the book, yes. there's the audio version, yes. there's yes. the radio version, and there's the Tom Baker oh, appalling a, linked yeah, version. It's all madness. It's, it's madness. madness. It's I love that. Version. That's fine. No, I'm, I'm with you on it. I'm, I mean, it is very, that is a very, as you were saying downstairs yeah. when we weren't recording, it's a very Douglas Adamsy thing yeah. to have multiple versions yeah. of one story. And in That's fact, exactly Dr. Adams would love would love the headaches that it's causing. <laughs> we need another shard. Come and rewrite it, it for the new series. Because, because <laughs> how many books do the cricket men turn yeah, up? Yeah, yeah. And it's oh yeah, and that's another version is Dirk Gently's Holistic Detective Agency, which is oh, another yeah. version of Shard. But it's yeah, of course it's, it is. Yeah. It's a perfect Douglas Adams thing to have a kind of a multiverse of the same story told in different directions in different ways. Yeah, no, I'm I'm glad it exists. I like mm. this version of Shadow actually yeah. quite a bit. Well, it's a bit like our duck pond book. You're going to have yeah. 15 different explanations for why there weren't any ducks on yeah. that pond. Yeah, which is fine. It's you know, it's... and now all we need is a stage play of Shadow. Shaduck. Shadow actually would work as a stage yeah. play. <laughs> <laughs> so Shadow's on, and actually, because it's the Douglas Adams thing, Musical. they get more publicity than they would even for Doctor Who, and it's pretty successful. Shard of the musical. <laughs> it's got to be done. Move on, man. Move on. Hang on a minute. It's, it's Nicholas Pegg, isn't it, director? He's a big, he's a big panto man. It'd be Shard of the Panto. <laughs> Come on, Nicholas. Shard of the Opera. Come on. Shard of the Opera, yeah. Oh. <laughs> the whole pun scene. Oh yeah, it's yeah. You brilliant. mustn't. You mustn't think on a podcast that stops you talking. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> okay, Sharda's a success. But I mean, you got to assume that each one of these is more successful than the previous one, yeah. because the audience is growing, the people who are adopting is growing. Mm. You know, the number of Doctor Who fans who are adopting as well, yeah. in particular, is growing. In in each case, they've they've done a brilliant job in what they've set out to do. They had a fairly unique idea. Mm. And they've managed to, to carry it through. And that applies to the fourth the fourth one that we're about to move on to. And while the fourth one is really what tears it all apart, mm. <clears throat> the fourth one is the BBC saying, and by this point we're up to the 40th anniversary, and the fourth one is the BBC saying, oh, this is the BBC's left hand saying, Doctor Who's not coming back on telly. We've got Big Finish doing old Doctors for us on, uh, you know, internet video dramas. But what we really need to do is launch this thing as the actual legitimate continuation of Doctor Who as opposed to just dipping back into the old continuities and telling new stories set in the past. So let's cast a new Doctor and let's write a story to relaunch the series from a sort of ground zero perspective, like they had in the TV movie and like they did in Rose, where they can start a new continuity in whatever way they please. And we'll talk about what ways they please to uh, start new continuities in Screaming the Shulker in a minute. And by doing so, what they say is, right, we will ditch the artwork by Lee Sullivan and we'll get Cosgrove Hall in to actually animate it. So even though it'll be a simple animation, it'll be by a professional animation house. Mm. So rather than it just being cameras panning across pictures and this kind of thing, it will actually properly be a simple flash but animation on this one. And what we'll do is we'll ditch Big Finish as well, because Big Finish's interest is in dipping into the old continuities. So let's start this entirely from scratch, make this ourselves, and do new Doctor Who on the internet 
starting with page one of this new continuity. Well, obviously, that sort of threw out any plans that Big Finish might have had. And um, I, in a way, that's really sort of stabbed themselves in the foot slightly because, and we'll talk about the thing itself in a minute, but Big Finish are still now doing Doctor Who stories set in old continuities, including old new continuities like Tenant and Torchwood. Mm. Big Finish are happily coexisting alongside the television series. Mm. And BBC Radio still plays old continuity Doctor Who Big Finish stories on the radio that quite happily coexist alongside the TV series. If Big Finish hadn't been thrown out of the internet video dramas in order to make way for Scream of the Shalker, who knows, but we may have still had every summer a story, or maybe even two or three stories, from Big Finish with simple animations on the internet that would have happily coexisted alongside the new continuities. But because they ditched Big Finish in order to come up with Scream of the Shalker, and because Scream of the Shalker was already obsolete before it was even broadcast, the entire thing gets bundled into the bin. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it's also to do with <clears throat> the way the BBC treats its internet as well. The BBC just stops putting... putting, And also the fact that the internet becomes so fast that you don't need animation on the internet. You can start having live-action internet drama. Well, well, yeah, but it moves to the red button. Yeah. This is where Dreamland come in, comes yes. in. Yeah. Dreamland is essentially to all intents and purposes, a continuation on mm. from where Big Finish were with Real Time and Sharda. Yeah. It's it's the current continuity, yeah. but it's essentially showing it on a different platform to a potentially slightly different audience. I guess Big, Big Finish do do move away from old Doctors, though, because they do the uh, Doctors on the Unbound series as well. Well, yeah, but that's not moving is, away from it, but so much as it is just an, an interesting cul-de-sac. Which is what Scream of the Shalker is as well. Oh, yeah, but Scream of the Shalker wasn't supposed to be a cul-de-sac. No. It was supposed to be a new avenue. Yeah. Whereas, well, no, actually, no, the, well, the Unbound, such, well, such as, the, 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 I guess, the personalities they've chosen to play the Doctor, the Unbound series is turning into something in itself. Well, They're no, but each one of them is a one-off. Except they made more. Well, they did because they were successful, but they were never planned as a series. Scream of the Shalker was planned as a series. Yeah. Um, Richard E. Grant was planned as the official canonical ninth doctor. Yeah, you got a front And announced on Doctor Who magazine. Yeah. Yeah. And then had it whipped away from him before it was even broadcast. But that probably made him quite happy. Yeah, because right. he, he heart was, didn't seem to be in. He no, in all the interviews you see, it's almost like he feels embarrassed mm. being there, <clears> which is not yeah. what you want. I mean, whether or not that's the truth, I don't know. But f- from what I gather, what I'm you know gut feeling and just looking at the way he is, he doesn't almost doesn't want to be part of the Doctor Who universe. He just I think he just assumes like most people that it's full of very odd people and there's, fans. There's one particular interview in Doctor Who magazine where during the making of where he's trying to sell Scream of the Shalker that he doesn't come across as particularly no. engaged. But I think that's probably he just 
him and the way he talks to the media. Maybe and it's the mm. fir- first time he's spoken to Doctor Who magazine and probably didn't realise that it's not it's not a normal media outlet I don't know because he had Paul McGann to talk to him Paul McGann was talking to him about oh you know you should do this you know be surprised it's actually a better world than you realise and and that was and actually to give him his due Richard E. Grant's come back into that world Mm. since I think so yeah Yeah. it'd be interesting to see if he did some stuff with uh, Big Finish the funny thing was of course he'd already experienced it a little bit because the curse of the failed death Mm. yeah or the curse of failed death I've done that classic error and moved the definitive article (laughs) the definite Um, article even but that's that is the reason why he did this isn't it because everybody saw him in that and they've always assumed he'd make a great Doctor Who now this is a fan kind of thing I think we I did as well I thought I love Richard E. Grant I love with now how, what a great Doctor Who he'd be, he'd be yeah. in my mind and then yes. you get him in Scream of the Shalker and he's pretty good in places well, but not that great in other well, I places think this, I, I think he plays it as it's written exactly and that's the point with this there is a really interesting comparison to be made between this and the TV movie and Rose Rose everybody agrees is the right way to relaunch Doctor Who, right? Mm. I mean, I do. There are some people who probably Indeed. don't like the episode very Just much, me. but I don't think anybody's going to disagree that Ross T. Davis chose the right way to relaunch it. The TV movie, and you know, I've been talking about this a lot lately, bar the first five minutes, is not that hugely different from Rose in the way it approaches a lot of the stuff that it's doing. It's doing certain things different, for instance, like having the regeneration, but. Once you get past that first five minutes where Sylvester McCoy is sitting in the TARDIS telling you all these things you don't really want to know in Paul McGann's voice, which must have made anybody who didn't know what Doctor Who was wonder what the hell was going on. Once you get past that first five minutes, you see most of it through Daphne Ashbrook's eyes. Hmm. You see a new Doctor emerging who is, um, you know, an upbeat Doctor in the same way as Eccleston was, who was the kind of guy that an audience could warm to then you see scream of the shalker where you see this doctor come out of nowhere you kind of see him through the companion's eyes but because of the nature of the shorter episodes and that you're not getting enough of that to fully engage you unless you're already engaged with doctor who which means that in spite of the fact that they're trying to relaunch doctor who off the back of the scream of the shalker they're essentially only relaunching it to people who already like it and you're getting a doctor who's miserable as sin and it's like launching the entire series back in an unearthly child with the doctor from the twin dilemma Mm. It's not the way they do it. It's effectively what they did with Deep Breath. <clears throat> but but <clears throat> they had they were able to do that because they had the huge popularity of the series to back them exactly. up. So you, you and had Twin a, Dilemma you had a fixed comes at a time when the series again is popular enough yes. to try that um, experiment. Um, it's because it continued. it then collapsed. Yeah. But, yeah. but Scream of the Shalker, you can't do that when you're starting completely from scratch, which is essentially what they're trying to do with Scream of the Shalker. I mean, it was different back in 63. William Hartnell mm. was grumpy old bugger in mm. the first couple of stories. But you see the first two stories entirely from the perspective of the two teachers. Here, you're supposed to be selling this to Doctor Who fans with a Doctor Who is about as off-putting as they come. Well, when I watched this back in 2003 for the first time, um, you know, expecting so much. 
And in that first <clears throat> couple of episodes, I was really disappointed in this portrayal of the Doctor. Mm. I thought, why do we have to have him gothic? Why do we have to have him <clears throat> look like Dracula? Why, did, why is he looking like the Master? Why is it, you know, it's because everything had to be dark and gritty, even mm. in those days. And I thought, why are we having this? Why can't we just have, you know, uh, like you say, a, a much more kind of upbeat Doctor? It would would have worked beautifully. But you I've can wa- have him being mysterious watched... and odd, but it doesn't yeah. need to but be. But I rewatched it in the same year, again, the second time, and thought, actually, this is okay. He could lighten up. You know, he started grumpy, but he could line up. And I've watched it recently, maybe about a year ago, um, after watching Capaldi and after watching, uh, you know, uh, Eccleston being a bit grumpy now and again and a couple of others. It's fine. It kind of actually, it's more modern than we realise. It was more ahead of its time. I didn't have a problem with it. And I think I didn't have a problem with it because it's not just Richard E. Grant. It's Richard E. Grant and Derek Jacobi have this kind of, comedic double act and together even though so you've got a master who's not quite evil who's sort of castrated Mm. metaphorically and you've got a doctor who's not quite the doctor but together actually with this sort of interplay between them you get a whole new dynamic Mm. and i think it's a really brave thing it's really bravely written i I think it's really it's quite fun but mad yeah and and i think that's that's the way cornell paul cornell went he just decided Mm to do to do something brave and that's what he does with his books and this is why his books are quite for me they're quite successful they might not be the greatest doctor who ever written but they are you know they never fail to be inventive they never mm. fail to be unexpected and exciting and i think this yeah. is this is what you get with screen well Shaker. in spite when, of everything i just said i'm not saying i dislike no. it because i think it does work yeah but i don't think it works on the level of an introduction no no i don't i don't think it's <clears> the start of a the start of a Series. And who knows where it would have gone because actually you can't. You look at Richard E. Grant in that and you can't imagine him lightening up all that much. Well, I don't, I don't think. Know. I mean, there were moments, you know, when he jumps on the into the creature's mouth and says, you know, come on, big boy. <laughs> I mean, you know, and, and making those quips about, yeah. okay, uh, ground floor caves and alien monsters. Yeah. Very funny lines written, yeah. obviously, yeah, by yeah. Paul and, um, and delivered. Flatly and in a very funny way, and just like maybe Capaldi might deliver it's, a line, in or a way, Matt Smith. sort of a Tom Bakery, like an yeah. early Tom Bakery thing. Yeah. I mean, Tom Baker in those, and not in Robot, but between Ark in Space and Horror of Fang mm. Rock, he's got you know moments of sort of. And this, of, this is when it works. Uh, it's when it works. It works when he is being his grumpy self. Richard yeah. E. Grant is being basically a with Nell character, yeah. isn't he? That's yeah. this kind of. That's what everybody knows him as and mm. for. And when he tries to be light-hearted and, and funny and he starts acting, in quotes, yes. it, for me, it doesn't. I don't enjoy that kind of Richard E. Grant. I like yeah. him as a with Nell character. I like him yeah. as himself, yes. being yeah. a bit grumpy. Metaphorically, what they're doing is ignoring the three internet dramas they've already done. Mm. And what they're doing is they have a doctor who i can't remember what the dialogue is but i think at some point in the first episode he says i'm not interested in fighting monsters and righting wrongs anymore mm. and he has to be tempted back out of it well obviously yeah. metaphorically that's tempting doctor who back out of the dark times into being something that's in production again mm. except it's supposed to be in production on the internet and as we all know mm. that doesn't turn out to be the case mm. so you can see what they're doing metaphorically okay. <clears throat> it's just that you don't get a new audience by addressing the old audience with a metaphor no i would love to hear him on big finish now though well i had the idea mm. i had this the slightly 
odd idea of what if what if instead of John Hurt when John Hurt turned round in name the name of the doctor or what is <laughs> name, of the, doctor, name yeah. of the doctor what if it had been Richard E Grant not Richard E Grant Richard E Grant and what well, <laughs> Well, he was already in the suddenly, episode. That was the suddenly, trouble. And suddenly, scream of the Shalker yeah, is tied in. Yeah, exactly. But <laughs> what if it hadn't? What if they cast Richard E. Grant as the War Doctor instead of the Great Intelligence? And suddenly, you're tying in scream of the Shalker. I mean, because it is a natural tie, and it's in exactly the right place in Doctor Who history to be a War Doctor story. God, if only you were on the production team at the time, man. No, it would have been. It wouldn't have been as good because John Hurt was much no, better. John yeah. Hurt, and is John had Hurt. much more yeah. weight than yeah, Richard yeah. E. Grant. But in terms of a, my, I don't my think if Richard Doctor E. Grant fan, had turned around, he would have been iconic enough for people. No, you needed somebody who putting John Hurt as the Doctor on screen would have been, you know, I know that moment. A, a I big, still thought it was a joke. Moment. Yeah, I didn't like the moment, but you know, I can appreciate the weight of the moment. Oh, when John Hurt turns around, that's not for Doctor Who fans. That's for the audience. I didn't else. mind John Hurt turning around. I mind. <laughs> I minded the words. With John Hurt as the Doctor written on the screen, I think that was just sort of ramming it down. You, I can see John Hurt. I've just been told well, that he's yeah. the Doctor by Matt Smith. They're just really proud to so, have him. Yeah, really, aren't yeah, they? I think that was his name up there and tell everybody that it's really him. Oh yeah, but this was look alike. It really is him. That period was when you had a lot of. The, at the starts of episodes, you would have the date and the location yeah. written somewhere almost diegetically in the yeah. action. Yeah. So this it was a period of the program when it sort of, for about a year or so, it experimented mm. with the way it formatted itself. Yeah. And this is just or the a 2B continued slamming into the. the yeah. And this is. That's the kind of thing you'd have at the end of a cartoon strip or a graphic yeah. novel yeah. in the last panel. That's yeah. what they were going for. The yeah. idea of a last panel in a comic strip. Yeah. I didn't like it. But I just didn't have any problems with it myself. Derek Jacobi was good in Scream of the Shulker. I remember that. Playing the master. Yeah. It's, yeah. And, and with a the, beard. The thing about Derek Jacobi is he always, he's a bit like sort of Bill Nye. He's always Derek Jacobi, but mm. somehow he somehow teases out a mm. different character from whatever he's playing. Mm. It's quite. I was finding quite a generic looking person, which is probably perfect for an actor, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. Sophie Okonedo's in it as well, which is, mm. you know, she's yeah. going to do massive things now. Yeah. But, uh, the Beast Below. The Beast Below. <laughs> yeah. That was said in a rather count way. The Beast Below. Um, yeah. David Sounds like a code, code for JR needs to go to the toilet again. <laughs> <laughs> From now on on the podcast, anytime the beast below is mentioned, it means one of us needs to move. <laughs> okay. I've got a touch of the beast below. <laughs> so let's wrap it up. Oh, please, for God's sake. Yeah. Well, David Tennant's in it as well. Yeah, well, he has yeah. a tiny little part. He's only in... Is he one of the soldiers? I think he has like two lines. In fact, it's really odd. I think what they've done, actually, is because they knew David Tennant was a fan, they've said to him, oh, just come in and do a couple of lines. Because in most of these things, if you've got small parts that are just two lines, you'll get another actor just to do it in a different voice. Yeah, mm. yeah. So to actually get David Tennant to come in and do two lines is... 
got to be more about the fact that it's David Tennant coming in and doing it. Because by this point, David Tennant had already been the star, the guest star, main guest star in the opening episode of Randall and Hopkirk. So he was already on his uppers. He wasn't a nobody when he came to Casanova and Doctor Who. He Mm. was already getting Getting established. When was Blackpool? That was around about that time, wasn't it? Or just after that? Blackpool would have been... Because that's the real moment when he... When he sort of hit the big Actually, time. wasn't that about 2005, something like that? I think it was 2004. I think okay. it was between the so two. So just, yeah. just about to start. That was a good series. Yeah. Oh, exceptional, yeah. yeah. Actually, um, it's Peter Bowker who, and this is probably coming towards the end now, as we speak, is written the A word. That's on at the moment. I like yes. that. I like that. Mm. I saw it. That was on last night. Yeah, and as we really, speak, two it was weeks really ago. Good. Yeah, sorry, it was on two weeks ago, and it's still on. Now, I'm not sure how many episodes. I got the impression it was three. I don't know why. It's probably six. six or I think yeah. it's six. Yeah, I don't know and why. I from the clips three. I saw, it looked pretty good because I watched an interview with Chris Rackerson. Chris Rackerson plays a, plays a sort of a comedian. Yeah, he's so the grandfather. Yeah, isn't he? yeah, yeah, and it's really not something you've seen. David Tennant, I don't know, Chris Braxton playing hmm. that kind of character. But it works, it really is. I uh, saw a fair bit of it, but I didn't see any of the bits with Eccleston in, so I missed right. him. But yeah, I saw enough of it to see yeah, how good it was. It's good. Yeah. Anyway, let's get back to the subject of these and let's wrap it up because okay. mm-hmm. not having watched them all that much, I don't know how we've managed to talk about them as much as we did, quite <laughs> frankly. Okay, one question then to sort of wrap this up um i'm not sure how to phrase this question were they worth should we score them well oh actually, no this is a good question them. no i mean uh, were they question. worth we're doing asking. yes and i don't know but i mean All in right. a i don't mean the simple oh yes it's nice we're doctor who fans they're there obviously in that sense they're worth doing but actually do they from from a hopefully slightly more objective point of view, do they actually add anything to the story of Doctor Who? I think Real Time Sharda and Scream the Shark kind of do, but I don't think Death. Um, no, I don't think we need Death Comes to Time. I'm kind of glad it exists. I'm glad it was on, but I don't. You know, probably because it doesn't. Really I don't fit mean into as stories, Lee. What do you mean? I mean as an entity, as a blind avenue. That they went down and See, didn't I, go any further down. I think Death Comes to Time Sharder and Scream the Shalker. It's good that they exist. Death Comes to Time, they have. They're, they're starting to riff off it, aren't they? There is the Minister of Chance, Chance a, which is a sort of a... Well, that that would be Dan Friedman's project. It's yeah. A, yeah, it's um, like a spin-off. An and I, th- spin-off. I think because those three... Those three had a sort of an individual identity. Yeah, Shark- I don't think you're going. No, no, We're no. Missing a point. With yeah. with real time, I didn't think it need be done because it's a very traditional story. I think it could have just been a big Finnish audience. Yeah, that's not the question I'm asking. Okay, the question I'm asking is, forget what the stories are. Yes, and just the whole idea of Doctor Who being on the internet instead yes. of on the telly lasted for well less than three years. Really, it's not much more than two years, and then it was gone. Hmm. Was it... Was it... And I'm not saying, was it worth trying that? I'm saying, with the perspective of time, is oh. this a folly? 
or is this something that has Pers- genuine personally, value? Personally, I don't think it needed to be on the internet. It's a I, folly. I, I, it's I a think folly. I think all all four would have worked better just as oh. Well, again, you're going into the story. No, I'm I know. just talking about the idea no, of no, doing I it. I know, yeah. but but the fact that they're on the internet, as opposed to just being audio dramas, mm. because the internet the internet has to have some sort of visual visual Content. reference point, mm. and I think for three of those. That that distracted from that wasn't needed. That almost distracted from the story. But I, think I mean, for Scream of the Shalker, nature more abhors a vacuum, doesn't it? Really, and and Doctor Who fills it quite nicely. Yeah. Nearly every single time, or whatever format you find, mm. had to be experimented. It had to come out. It, it was a product of its time. These things were going to happen, and in and you know, yes, I think these things should have happened and they have happened and it's oh well so you've hit yeah. well i was going to go but you've come to a different conclusion okay i mean my opinion was it my opinion on it regardless of the fact that they exist and i like the fact that they exist and i wouldn't not have them exist my opinion on it is it was a vacuum and in order to fill the vacuum they just took the thing that wasn't necessarily the most appropriate but the easiest fit and so what you've got is something that fills the vacuum, mm. but fills it in a way that's not substantial enough that it actually makes anything of the vacuum other than the fact that it's no longer a vacuum. Yeah. And so to me, it's a, you know, with the benefit of hindsight, it's a huge folly. And although, like I say, it's nice that they exist, mm. it just seems to me, and I'm not going to say it's not Doctor Who, but what I'm going to say is, it's just something that's kind of a nothing. And Do you know what I mean? It's not the Doctor. Yes, absolutely. It's not the Doctor Who that we as fans wanted. We wanted it on telly. Mm. And I always felt um, at that point, and and you know, and also in the nineties as well with the Virgin novels, all of that stuff, all the wilderness years. No matter how much you tried to give the fans what they wanted, and we loved it and we lapped it up. It was yeah. only ever going to be 80% full. And they were still making bugs and strange <laughs> and things that you just thought... But why even from a more wider perspective oh. than that, here's another way of describing it. Doctor Who on the telly is a television series. Doctor Who on Big Finish is a series of audio plays. Doctor Who... Um, with Virgin. Virgin is a series of books and Doctor Who on radio is something else Doctor Again, Who on radio is serialised yeah. but Doctor Who on the internet is just kind of well it's a bit of this and it's a bit of that it I, doesn't really seem to have I an think, identity of its own I think Doctor Who on the internet for those first three I don't think work I think they're they're radio plays well even but the that last, last one I think the last Scream of the Shalco is the one that came closest to justifying but being to me, on the internet yeah it does yeah. but to me it didn't quite it's Scream of the Shalco feels like it wants to be um, you know here's the thing when Star Trek finished back in 69 <laughs> yes. was it 69 it finished it was 66 to 69 wasn't it and three or four years later in the early 90s the animated series which was aimed more at children because they they wanted to do something more with Star Trek and I suppose nobody quite knew what so they came up with this idea of doing a Star Trek for children Mm. and there it was Scream of the Shalka feels to me like you know slight issues with the content aside feels to me like a natural cousin of the Infinite Quest and Dreamland which is 
modern Doctor Who, slightly more aimed at children and animated. Mm. So it doesn't feel to me like it has an internet no. identity. No. no, it's because it's an animation and as well. That, and also because all all four of these took place at a time when the BBC didn't know what the internet was. No, Nobody right, really yeah. knew what the internet was going to turn into, mm. that it was basically going to be mostly pornography. So they so, used so, <laughs> so they used Doctor Who to experiment yeah, yeah, with what the yeah, format could yeah. be, and and I think time time has concluded that it's not somewhere you put Doctor Who animation. basically, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's just it's for other things. Well, and of course, then YouTube comes on and you usurps the entire thing anyway. Yeah, because yeah. why bother yeah. ploughing huge amounts of money and into an official and content when people are doing it for virtually nothing in their spare time? And these are things that I do watch through. If I want to watch something with animation, I watch it through YouTube, as, as you say. But most of the time, I just prefer audio drama. Or I, television. I, or television. You have to go either way. And actually, audio drama for these, and also these... In particular, they have such a sense of scale that I think adding oh, anima- yeah. adding animation detracts from the sense yeah, of scale. Yeah, yeah. I think they've they've covered. I know with animation you can have, you know, vast vistas, mm. but you're still limiting the imagination. So, in spite of what the stories are, because <coughs> I think, to be honest, from what we've seen and what we've spoken about, the four stories themselves stand up. But yeah. on the whole, then, for me, it's a thumbs down. I just think it's an experiment that doesn't really work. I don't know. I think I've got an attachment. I think that this thumbs halfway for me. I mean, it's not. It's not a roaring success in any shape or well, let's shape hopefully or form. I can take the thumb halfway <laughs> out. <laughs> the, th- the thumb down is uh, is not what I'd probably give these things. I'm, I'm really no, I'm saying in spite of liking the stories, I think yeah. the idea of them being on the internet is a thumbs down. Oh, the, the, I, I, the, can yeah. see, I can I see your itching you to have a thumbs up. <laughs> no, 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 no. It's it's a thumbs halfway. It kind of okay. works. I think it screen of the shark works like you say better than the other three. So I can't quite give it. A see, because what we talked about two weeks ago was people filling the gap by making video dramas, mm. and that felt to me oddly enough, seeing as they were all entirely, you know, unofficial. Mm. That felt to me like a more substantial continuation of the series than these do in an odd way. What? Maybe because there's more of them, or no, 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 not because of more of them, because of what they were. It felt to me like it felt to me like they were being more successful in plugging the hole, because they were very ostentatiously a replacement for Doctor Who, where these are trying to be Doctor Who, but actually are coming across as a replacement for Doctor Who. So where the other thing felt like is being a success in being a replacement, this feels like. It's being a failure at being the real thing. Yes, that's true. It can't be the real thing, can it? <laughs> well, no, but that's exactly what it wanted to be. All all four of these, Scream of the Schalke, more so perhaps than the other three, but the other three equally as well, wanted to be in some ways a continuation of Doctor Who's mm. legacy in a visual format. It's really only Big Finish that has succeeded in I doing it in another do, way yeah, but they've yeah. done it in another medium and that's yeah, yeah. kind of that's why it works on Big Finish yeah, yeah. Um, although having said that like I said about half an hour ago if Big Finish had been able to carry on and do these internet things maybe two or three a year you know as a alternative continuity to the BBC version on the telly in the same way as the audios are 
an alternative continuity. Mm. I think that would have been a fine, and nobody would have looked at it as real Doctor Who. Mm. Everybody would have looked at it as just another kind of Doctor Who that you can enjoy if you're inclined to. Mm. But that that's why this doesn't work. It's because whether you're inclined to or not, these are trying to be the real version of Doctor Who, aren't they? Yeah. Uh, rather mm. like the uh, slip back of 1986, yeah. 85. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, Matt, yes. is that a thumbs up, middle down? I'm giving it a thumbs up. Oh. Because I think there's still, despite everything, all of that, in terms of stories, no? Well, I wasn't talking about the stories, because we've already in said terms we liked concept, them. In, the, in terms of concept, I still think it was pioneering and brave, and I think they've written brave stories to fit with a brave concept. That's and fair so, so I kind of... And I, I, and I would do the same with the BBV, the the Airzone solution. I still I'm, thought it was... Yes, I'm buzzing. You, you carry you, on. You win, I me. seem to have be buzzing. I'm, 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 I'm giving my yeah. judgment. Did you wait until I gave my judgment we'll, before we'll you started leave, farting? We'll leave it buzzing because I don't have a time. Okay. I think we're done. Um, we're I, th- done. I, think it's that, I think it's that so sort you're, of pioneering spirit that I saw in the, the, amateur, yeah. the amateur productions as well. They, they weren't good. <laughs> they weren't good and they weren't consistently well made. But, you know, you can't fault their ambition. <laughs> uh, next week, uh, whoever it is who's going to be here next week, we are going to be talking about Season 5, Patrick right. Troughton's Middle Year. Good crumbs. <laughs> but until then, I was JR. I was Lee. Well, I was Matt. And we will speak again soon. Right, if you two are quite done talking about the <laughs> Infinity Quest, yes. which I have to say has been a bit of an infinite test of my patience, let's talk about Sharda, shall we? Hey. But before we do, I have just had a toilet break. Matt, what's your revelation? Well, my revelation was that you didn't offer me a toilet break. Oh, I'm sorry, did you want one? <laughs> I might take a toilet break, yeah. Okay, let's stop Norm- again. Normally we do this subtly, don't we? So yes. people don't realise it. Well, I have done it quite subtly, because nobody will quite be able to put the finger on exactly where the toilet break took place. Um, okay. Unless you put okay. some intermission music. But Except they'll your, know exactly your where voice, this one happened. Your voice sounds more relaxed between the two. 
So, <laughs> Would you like to use yes, the toilet? Can, can I go to the toilet, please, Jeff? Okay. Before you go to the toilet, though, I'm going to make you okay. squirm just slightly longer. It's not that bad. I'm right. What's your slipback revelation? Oh, yes. Yeah. They were in it, after all. Lee, would you like to corroborate? No, they no, were they, not, they were they, Matt? I might have been thinking of... Well, there was something called Real Time that they were both in. <laughs> I might have been thinking of that. Yeah. Well, it might have been a big finish. Another big finish that they were in. Maybe. But I don't know, after all, all, all they've been in Real all Time. All, That's more likely. All in all, I misremembered the detail from the Colin Baker story Slipback that I last listened to in 1980-something. Six. Six. <laughs> and it was really rubbish. So, uh, so I feel I feel comfortable with myself that I have misremembered it, but it's fine. 